Welcome back to Second Helping, the number one podcast for fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, joined as always by my great friend, my co-host here on the podcast, Mr. Brent Beard, college football analyst for First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida, also a longtime voter in the... Uh, race for what is known widely as the number one individual honor, certainly in all of collegiate athletics, the Heisman Trophy. And Brent, uh, wow, just when we think <laughs> maybe we yeah. uh, have a wide array, widest array of topics to cover after a crazy week six, here came week seven, both on the field, off the field. And in most times, I would say what unfolded in Knoxville late Saturday night would lead us off. But how is this for the college football season to this point? The winning coach in the LSU-Florida game from Saturday in Baton Rouge is out at the end of the season, whereas (laughs) the losing coach, well, we're still maybe not 100% certain about uh, well, uh, hey, the the uh, Florida fan base is pretty certain about him, aren't they? <laughs> I think they have voiced their opinion on Dan Mullen at this point. Uh, I think they've also voiced their opinion on uh, on the defensive coordinator, Todd Grantham. Todd Grantham had had a pretty quiet he season to this point. Absolutely. And then LSU, which had rushed for as a team right around, what, 500 yards yes. in its first six games? Goes for 321 against the Gators on Saturday. Ty Davis Price, that was a school record, wasn't it? His performance. He looked like Trent Richardson in an LSU uniform is what he looked like, just running through Todd Grantham's defense Saturday afternoon. I I think what people forget sometimes, Trav, and they had so many guys, Derek Stingley uh, among them, that that was out. Boutte was out. But – we got had like re- 60 had like 60 scholarship players uh, again uh, for like the second straight year against Florida. That was the case. Uh, and, and I think we forget how well that maybe in spite of O or, and also with O uh, that they have recruited uh, and they were able to, uh, uh, to rally the troops uh, and, and make it just another atrocious loss for uh, Dan Mullen uh, is Gator fans uh, that I heard in the gym. I heard at church. I heard about everywhere I've gone this weekend, Trav, uh, of all the travails of Dan Mullen in that uh, in the quarterback situation. Just name a situation on that team, and they're not happy about it. Yeah, and again, we haven't even talked about, really, Ed Orseron. Uh, at this point, we'll get to right. that in just a little bit. But as far as the game itself, you know, you can look at the quarterback situation for Florida. And there was certainly a stretch there in the second half where it looked like Anthony Richardson might win the second half Heisman. If he didn't right. win the Heisman for the full season, he looked like he may be on the way to that sort of season. He accounted for three touchdowns with his arm, another touchdown with his legs. But like Emory Jones, the turnovers, four interceptions between Richardson and Jones, that went a long way in LSU being able to pull off this upset in Baton Rouge. Uh, well, uh, Anthony Richardson, five explosive plays and 26 touches tempered by the interceptions. But we still, when we look at Emory Jones, 
has thrown nine interceptions this season. Trev, that's the most since Jeff Driscoll wow. uh, uh, back uh, in 2014. Uh, and and oh by the way, uh, Trev, the the uh, the number one number I'm hearing for one Dan Mullen, four and six in his last ten games. Well, and Dan Mullen, whether it's Mississippi State or Florida, is going to lose three plus games a year. That Correct. just seems to be what's going to happen. And while that was certainly acceptable in Starkville, not so much in no, Gainesville. No. And it shouldn't be. It absolutely should not be. And so, uh, Dan, also the arrogance he displays and sort of the condescending tone in which he addresses the media as a conduit to his fan base, I think comes back to haunt him at times as well. But on the football field Saturday, all the credit to LSU, Ty Davis Price with a school record, 287 rushing yards, basically on the same play, just over and over a counterplay that Todd Grantham's defense simply could not stop. And I want to say that maybe if Ventrell Miller is healthy and in the middle of that defense, uh, it could be different for Florida. Uh, but I, I can't, I can't say that that's entirely the case because it, it was just so easy for yes. Di- Ty Davis price in the game, uh, on Saturday. And you know, Max Johnson's had so much pressure on him, Brent, because there hasn't been much of a run game for LSU. He was able to throw it just 24 times and three of those attempts went for touchdowns, all well, of the and, same guy. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, the number that sticks out to me too, is zero interceptions, uh, in that game, he he was very efficient, <laughs> and you know th- th- this is typical of LSU and Orgeron Trav. After the win over Florida, oh is now eighteen and eleven at LSU versus ranked teams, and Travis thirteen and five versus the top ten. <laughs> and he'll always have Dan Mullen in Florida, if he nothing will. else. And he despite will. those numbers. We learn on Sunday that Ed Orgeron's tenure at LSU will come to an end at the end of the season. So while you run down those kind of numbers against top 10 teams and uh, those type of uh, glowing accolades on his resume, uh, Brent, how much of this, though, is tied into the off the field stuff that's still out there? Absolutely. Uh, Look, I I think that's the majority of it, frankly. I, I think there are two things here. I know that I think it was Bodie Miller, Trav, that had a uh, in-depth story on Orgeron uh, and some of the uh, 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 different women and their children coming to practice type stuff, uh, uh, basically propositions uh, a woman at a gas station, finds out later She's the wife of a prominent LSU official. Ah, uh, that that's never very wise, is it? Uh, but, but but look, I have not heard anything about this. But this is something you and I have talked about for a while, Trev. I can't help but believe that this Title IX situation is involved with this. If nothing else, maybe removing him before they get into the. Uh, uh, to the nuts and bolts of this investigation and maybe how it's going to affect the school. Yeah. And if you're, Oh, and all this stuff is out there, as you outlined, you go ahead and take the buyout now. Absolutely. If you try to hang around or if you wanted to try and fight it, they'll end up perhaps figuring out a way to get you out of there with cause Brent. Then you get nothing. I would think. 
Absolutely not. And, and, and oh, by the way, as we mentioned the other day, that buyout's only $17 million, okay? Yeah, so you absolutely take that if you're O right now, knowing all of this other stuff. And look, all along since the end of the 2019 National Championship season, the question with O and LSU was sustainability yes. of that moving yes. forward. And I think there is still, for some coaches, and you know, O, I think, fits this. They fall victim. They are intoxicated in that moment to think that, well, this is going to be forever now. We've right. gotten here. Right. We're just going to stay here. You know, and, and we're going to beat Alabama every year. We're going to be in the national championship mix every year. Recruiting is on autopilot. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's not realistic. And again, no, no. it only underscores, once again, just the, the incredible job done by Nick Saban at Alabama. Because when you really go down the list of coaches that have been able to do that at that level and sustain it over time, there's only a couple in all of college football history. So Ed Orgeron out at the end of the season as LSU head coach. And certainly the attention turns quickly to really some sitting uh, SEC head coaches, right? Lane Kiffin, Jimbo Fisher, Scott Woodward, the athletic director at LSU certainly has ties there with Jimbo previously at Texas A&M. Is it, is it that simple ultimately in your opinion, Brent, before we move on here to think it's, one of those guys, or do you think this thing might be a little bit more broad in terms of its scope? Now, as you and I know, this when things like this happen, everyone throws a bunch of names on the wall to see what's going to stick. So now Matt Rule has also been mentioned. Bob Stoops has been mentioned. Uh, now Mel Tucker has been mentioned, who really has done a fine job this year. Um, Luke Fickle, Dave Aranda, obviously who's at Baylor. <clears throat> who was at LSU. So I think <clears throat> they've got plenty of time at this point to look around. Uh, and uh, I, I think what you mentioned, that, that has raised a lot of questions. Travel with Jimbo, again, be on the move. I actually want to be with with Woodward, I believe, is, is like his best friend. Uh, but, and, and again, we know when we know when incestuous. No the buyout for Jimbo's. No buyout <laughs> yeah. on Jambo's end. Yeah. So, so at this point, would uh, would, would he want to make that move this soon? But if Trav, if LSU is his dream job, that that may have a lot to do with it too. Absolutely. And so we'll see how that uh, moves play uh, plays out moving forward. Jimbo, I got to say, you know, Jimbo has one national championship. And one win over Nick Saban. How yes. is that not good enough for Gene Chizik <laughs> or Ed Orgeron? They had the same things. Oh, yeah. They had national championships and one win over Nick Saban. Well, Jimbo wins just enough, it seems like, on the interim in between those highlights uh, that differentiates him a little bit. And off the field, not quite, not quite the issue, certainly. No. It appears that Ed Orgeron uh, has uh, put himself into contact with here in the not too distant past. Hey, let's start back. Let's move back and get into some Auburn at Arkansas talk in that early window on Saturday, all the credit in the world to Auburn, man. Yes. Come off that thumping at home at the hands of Georgia. And I thought at least early in that game and really through the first half that Auburn looked like the team with just more energy, more juice, 
I thought Arkansas really coming off what was the equivalent of a three-game road stretch, going to Arlington, going to Athens, going to Oxford. That was a lethargic-looking Arkansas team to me in the first half, but no more road concerns about Bo Nix, I guess, after that performance by the Auburn quarterback. He's been outstanding in his last couple of starts away from Jordan-Hare. And I thought the thing that we talked about last week that that was important is uh, regardless of how much yardage they gain, that they needed to go back to Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. Uh, and combined, both those guys carry the ball 28 times, uh, Bigsby for 68. Hunter was only 27. But one thing I've learned from you over the years is – you do not give up on the run game, and you don't totally give it in Bo's hands. Look, Bo deserves a lot of credit, 21 to 26 for nearly 300 yards, and also got Trav Demetrius Robertson that got off the milk carton uh, and had a nice game too. So they they pretty well stayed within themselves. I I, I would agree with you. I, I I thought even though Arkansas had lost five straight, now it's six straight. Uh, that they would be a little more determined with this game. Uh, but to give Auburn credit, uh, it was a big win for them, and now they've got a week off. Arkansas came into the game defensively, giving up 6.1 yards, I believe it was, 6.5 yards per pass attempt. One of the best passing defenses in the SEC. Bo Nix hit them for 11.2 yards per mm-hmm. attempt and throwing for 292 yards. I thought this was going to be – First offense to 200 rushing yards yeah, wins. Yes. Well, Arkansas got to 200 rushing yards, uh, but Bo Nix was just that good. Uh, he did get more explosive play uh, production from those wide receivers. We've talked about it here on the podcast in the past. Demetrius Robertson seems to be the guy he trusts the most, mm-hmm. and when he needed it and when Auburn needed it, he went up top for the big one for 81 yards. But Still some other guys in that mix at wide receivers stepping up. Something, as you've talked about here on the podcast, Brent, uh, Auburn hasn't enough, uh, hasn't had enough of. You know, and again, you look at it statistically on the offensive side for Arkansas. Traylon Burks, nine catches, 109 yards, two touchdowns, the outstanding wide receiver for Arkansas. So a lot of things lined up. But I think Jalen Catalan not being around, Correct. not being available in that Arkansas secondary definitely showed up in relation to Nix's big day throwing the football. Uh, and listen, the, the bad news continues for Catalan Trab is going to have surgery today and is out for the season. Oh, man, that's a huge, huge it blow is. to that Arkansas defense because he's perfect for those zone concepts really and the way that they can use him in some different ways in that secondary. That's a tough, tough blow for an Arkansas team that all along we've worried about. Once you get into mid-October and the wear and tear and the road trips and things start to accumulate against a still relatively limited roster in terms of depth and quality of depth, uh, you know, things could start to turn a little bit south for the Razorbacks, and that seems to be the case right now. Something we also anticipated on Saturday was Texas A&M running the football for a high number of production uh, on the ground, and that definitely happened. Isaiah Spiller, 168 on just 20 carries against Missouri. Uh, Devon A. Chain, 124 yards of his own. Between those two guys, you're talking about eight eight plus yards per carry. And Missouri kind of got it together a little bit there in the second half. But the fast, fast start you wondered about for A&M coming off the win, 
against Alabama. Maybe they would sputter a little bit, but 28 first-half points seem to answer that question emphatically. Uh, and really, Calzada did not have to do a whole lot. Uh, 13 to 25 from 148 uh, in the in the game. The running backs were dominant. Uh, something that that we touched on. Uh, after the Alabama game, they seem to find their starting five in the offensive line. And that's something that they really didn't have early on. The defensive line showed up, made life uh, quite difficult uh, at that time, too. So, yeah, uh, they they just they basically stuck to bit. I thought I think we both thought this would be a maturity game for A&M. Uh, and again, uh, Missouri's defense is so bad that that's a plus for them to be able to take advantage of it. But but to their credit, uh, they did, and that made a big difference for them in the game. Yeah, Tyler Beatty, the outstanding running back from Missouri, you sort of figured it was going to have to be sort of a 200 scrimmage yard game for him. Uh, he ended up with 121 between rushing and receiving. And Anaya Smith, from the Texas A&M perspective, only three catches, but two of them for touchdowns. I believe he's got four in his last two yeah. games now. So he's been a real difference maker, as you would expect, for that A&M offense. Georgia in the 3.30 Eastern window on CBS gets the job done against Kentucky 30-13. to I thought a big sequence in that game was what turned out to be a fumble on a pass attempt yes. by Stetson Bennett. Jacquez Jones, the inside linebacker for Kentucky, is right there. The ball is rolling right towards him. He assumes it's an incomplete pass. It's ruled a fumble on the field. There isn't enough to overturn the call on the field, so it stands as a fumble. Meanwhile, Kendall Milton, the running back for Georgia, give him all the credit in the world because he, unlike Jacquez Jones, went and got on the football. And so instead of being a big turnover, a takeaway for Kentucky in a scoreless game there, Georgia has possession, goes into the end zone. From that point forward, it was pretty much Georgia in control. The score was 14-7 to at the half, but you didn't get the sense that Georgia was in much trouble. Uh, no, absolutely. And their defense covers a multitude of sins, allowed 243 total 51 rushing yards. Trev, 1.9 yards per rush uh, for Chris Rodriguez in Kentucky yeah. uh, with that. Uh, and, and listen, uh, this really catches your eye. Stetson Bennett in six games, 70, Trev, 69.5% passer, 11 touchdowns, two interceptions. They're not reinventing the wheel for sure no. on the offensive side no. of the ball, but they don't have to, not with that defense. Not with that run game. And Stetson Bennett, very, very efficient, as you mentioned there. Once again, 12.5 per attempt in throwing for 250 yards and three touchdowns. And the tight ends in the passing game continue to be such a big part of things. Brock Bowers, five catches, 101 yards, and two touchdowns for the freshman Darnell Washington. Uh, A part of that as well, two grabs for 37 yards. They'll throw it to the backs. But... Yeah, the run game did enough. There's no doubt about that. Give Kentucky credit, though. I thought, unlike Arkansas, you didn't get the sense that Kentucky in its front seven against that Georgia offensive line and run game was entirely outmatched. But 
Absolutely. On the other side, Christian Rodriguez was going to have to have more than seven rushing yards. And I'll give I'll give Will Levis credit for for him to be asked to throw the football 42 times. That's right. Um, and not turn it over throwing the football and to throw a couple of touchdown passes, one pretty much there on the last play of the uh, of the game. But um, uh, you know, Levis wasn't he wasn't otherworldly. But again, for what was asked of him, I didn't think he was bad either. No, and they are off this week. Uh, and, and look, Goodbye as we talk, week. That's absolutely. Uh, as we talked about last week, Trav, don't you think they put this behind them fairly quickly? As we talked in our previous podcast, this is still a Kentucky team, and people snicker at this a little bit, but I think it's possible they can end the season either 10-2 and two or 11-1. and one. And look, they wanted to win the game. There's no doubt about it. But it appears they also came out of it in pretty good health. I know they had some injuries in the middle of their defense, specifically at the nose tackle position going in. But it seems like they came out of this in pretty good health, which should set them up for that potential run that you talked about last week and just uh, outlined for us again right there. Also on Saturday evening, you had South Carolina in much need of a bowl qualifying type win over visiting Vanderbilt. It didn't look good heading into the final moments there. It felt so much like, well, this is South Carolina doing South Carolina with the Commodores leading late, but Zeb Nolan in relief of Luke Doty comes on the former grad assistant at South Carolina, 24 year old Zeb Nolan comes off the bench and takes the Gamecocks down the field, throws the game-winning touchdown pass with 37 seconds left. Uh, Parker White makes the uh, determining PAT, and Nolan, 5 of 8, 75 yards and a touchdown. Uh, <laughs> Vanderbilt, Trev really thought they had the game won. They did. Fra- yeah. fr- frankly, uh, Mike Wright, 11 of 21 for 206. Uh, Rocco Griffin had 57 yards. Uh, that was, yeah, there's no doubt that that, that was a really tough loss for, for them at, the, at that point. Uh, Luke Doty had really having trouble uh, staying well. Kevin Harris, who they thought would really be among the leaders in the league at running back in South Carolina, just 35 yards again. He has really struggled uh, the, this year. But, but again, here's South Carolina team four and three uh, at this point. Trev, before the years, <laughs> I've been a little facetious here, but yet I'm not. Uh, uh, will they? Will they have a small statue of Zeb Nolan near the caboose somewhere? <laughs> yeah, right up there with Todd Ellis. Absolutely. <laughs> On a day for tight ends around the SEC, to Jaheim Bell, the tight end for South Carolina, six catches, 136 yards and a touchdown. Kind of came out of nowhere with that one. Hadn't had much in the way of documented production, the Lake City, Florida native, but uh, 22.7 yards per catch for Bell in a much-needed win by the Gamecocks, who next up travel to College Station to take on Texas A&M, and Zeb Nolan will, in fact, start at quarterback in that game with Doty dealing with a re-injury to the foot that had kept him out of the early season game. So we'll see how that situation progresses with Zeb Nolan back in the saddle at quarterback. Speaking of back in the saddle, Alabama's back in the saddle of taking care of SEC opponents, 49-9, to 
the Crimson Tide with a rebound of epic proportions going into Starkville and once again doing a number on a Mike Leach offense. You know, Mike Leach, going back to his days as the head coach at Texas Tech, Brent, um, 12 quarters against Alabama as a head coach between Texas Tech in that 2006 Cotton Bowl against uh, Joe Kynes' Alabama defense back in those days. And then the last two seasons that he's faced at Crimson Tide, one touchdown for Mike Leach in 12 quarters against Alabama. And it was tough once again for Will Rogers and the Mississippi State offense, the defense for Alabama setting the tone early with a couple of interceptions, including a pick six by safety Jordan Battle to give the Crimson Tide a 14-3 to lead. And from that point, I think Alabama successfully answered any questions folks might have had about what its mental state was like coming off that first loss of the season. Uh, Travis, could we say Will Anderson uh, walked the uh, he he walked the walk and talked the talk during that yep. time? And, and uh, look, a Derek Thomas type performance, right? Four sacks, just really dominated uh, in in a lot of ways. Uh, to go along with that. And look, you mentioned Jordan Battle. Trav, seven tackles, pass breakup, two picks, obviously obviously returned one for a touchdown. Just a tremendous night for both those defensive players. It really was. Henry Toa Toa with 13 tackles. That matched his career high previously set at Tennessee a year ago. He had a sack, a tackle and a half for loss, and Boy, I thought Alabama offensively, you knew the blitz was going to be coming because Zach mm-hmm. Arnett doesn't have a problem dialing it up for Mississippi State anyway, but especially after what you saw Alabama struggle with in the A&M loss. But Bryce Young and Bill O'Brien, they were ready for it as Bryce Young needs just 28 attempts to throw for 348 yards and four touchdowns. Big game for John Mechie. I think the Alabama offense needed that from Mechie. You know that Jamison Williams is pretty much going to live around 100 receiving yards per game, it seems like, anyway. So to get a 100-yard performance from Mechie, his first of the season, I think bodes well for this offense moving forward. And the run game came up solid once again, nearly 200 rushing yards. Roydell Williams in support of Brian Robinson doing some good things. Robinson, red zone touchdown runs from Brian Robinson. I think Alabama (laughs) fans enjoyed that maybe more than anything Saturday night. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. We're we're able to run it in. I thought Trey Sanders looked good late. Uh, And and Trev, I know Shea Bolden's gotten uh, deservedly his share of attention, but I thought Holden really played well uh, and, and certainly playing well enough to get more playing time over the next few games. Yeah, on a night when you didn't get any production from your tight ends no, in the passing zero. game, I thought Treshawn Holden helped fill that void. Three catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Slate Bolden with a couple of grabs. He, Slate Bolden lost what looked like a reception on a hell of a play by Bryce Young, who corralled an errant snap to start with. And then Bolden made what looked to be a diving grab. Uh, it was reversed. It was overturned upon review, but certainly, yeah, always good for this offense to see another option at wide receiver uh, step forward. And Brian Robinson had an explosive play in the passing game as well with that 51-yard catch and run against, again, another blitz. So much blitzing from Mississippi State and Bryce Young and that Alabama offense able to take advantage of that, which sets the Crimson Tide up for an annual meeting with the Tennessee Balls 
Next Saturday night in Tuscaloosa, Brent and I will both be, I believe, at Bryant Denny Stadium. We will. For that one. And the Vols come limping in following a 31 to 26 loss at the hands of Lane Kiffin and those Ole Miss Rebels. I don't know really where to start. Do we start with the finish to this game, <laughs> really? with the delay because of debris, fan debris on the field? How should the SEC deal with that moving forward? Should the game have been called at some point before the finish? Part of me says yes. When you're having to take your own fans out of the stands and your own band, your own cheerleaders and people like that, it's probably just time to go home. Part of me enjoyed the finish that we ultimately got with Tennessee throwing the ball into the end zone, although Joe Milton in relief. Oh, relief my. of Hendon Hooker decides just to run out of bounds on the last play of the game with the clock on triple zeros. Uh, so much to unpack here. Let's start with the game, though. Yeah. And I thought, whereas we'll talk so much about how it ended, Felix Jones fumbles the punt very early there in the first quarter and gives Ole Miss the short field. Ole Miss converts on fourth and goal with a touchdown run from Snoop Connor. Again, we, we get caught up in finishes and 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 we should Uh, that's what sticks with you but sometimes it's things that happen early in a game and you end up losing by four or five six points that that are also also pretty big brent yeah no no question and uh, tennessee had four possessions uh down five and a chance to take the lead Uh, and in those four possessions to dovetail what you said trev a missed field goal a first down holding penalty made it first and 19 during that time uh after giving up six sacks against south carolina tennessee gave up five and 10 total tackles for loss so there's a lot to work on uh but uh, and i'm curious if you if you thought the same thing as i did trev i thought hendon hooker during the time he was healthy, was really very effective. Uh, 17 to 26, 233, ran for 108. Uh, uh, in many ways, really solid performance on his end. It was, and the kind of performance where he took a physical beating, and with that, you're wondering, because he didn't finish the game. Joe Milton had to come on there late. Once play was resumed, will we see Hendon Hooker? in Tuscaloosa this weekend. We'll know more about that later in the week. At the time that we take this on Monday, we hadn't heard from Josh Heupel in relation to Hooker's status, but I thought it was heroic, his play in a lot of ways, because he took a lot of big shots. Uh, He didn't turn the football over. Um, Tennessee ran the football fairly well in the game, but boy, Matt Corral goes for 195 on 30 carries <laughs> at the quarterback Incredible. position. You talk about a guy that's willing to take the pounding. That's Matt Corral. He also threw for 231 and a couple of touchdowns. He did have an interception in the game. So uh, a little bit of everything in this one. And we go to the finish of the game and the conduct of the fans based on uh, not being happy with the spot there on a on what looked like a very close call in terms of whether or not uh, Tennessee had converted a fourth down. And, um, you know, I've got thoughts on the, the situation. I've already mentioned a few of them, but I think it's also indicative of today's sports society, Brent, yes. because yes. we almost celebrate uh, that type of behavior, inappropriate, uh, you know, 
basically unlawful behavior in a lot of ways. Nowadays, if you get in a fight at a Dodgers game or at a Raiders game or at any sporting event and the camera phones come out and it's projected onto social media, you go viral. It's almost cool yeah, is what it's become. I'm sure. It's what, entertainment. Uh, People view it as entertainment. And so maybe I'm wrong on this, but it seems like it's just heightened the the possibility for unruly behavior like we saw. I understand there was major frustration. That was a that's a tough way to go out like Tennessee appeared to be. But there was still time in the game, as we saw. Tennessee still had, I believe, all three of its timeouts. Um, but your thoughts on, on what transpired there late, and how do you think the SEC will move forward with this? Well, well, that's my big question with this thing. By the way, uh, Trav, and you and I have been following this league for years. When uh, when this when the league office drops an email at one thirty six on yeah. Sunday morning, uh, that tells me that Greg Sankey is absolutely furious about this. And, and look. You know this like I do, Trev. The the besides their money, the, the the league is more proud of its image than anything else. Now I don't know uh, what saying he can actually do, um, because I mean the Tennessee president, the AD, uh, coaches, and and the players obviously didn't ask these fans to do that. But uh, do do they? Uh, do they drop an unprecedented five? Well, if you drop, if you drop, what is it, a hundred thousand for rushing yeah, the field? Yeah, I think it's got to be at least one hundred k. Oh, absolutely. Um, if not a good bit more than that, I think it has to at least match. Uh, if you're finding celebratory on the field behavior, um, then I think this has to be at least that, if not more. Uh, well, and, and as you said, when you're talking about the situation where some look, it, it, people say there's nothing to this, but get a full water bottle and throw it somebody. No, very uh, dangerous. Uh, and and that 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 really is incredible. So I, I'm Trev. Don't you think either at some point early this week, I'm I'm guessing Sankey has a very public press conference about this. Or, or, or at least he he will have a very public re- release that's coming down very soon. And here's my question too: Does Sankey go to the schools and say, "Look, some of these games are already going to be ratcheted up enough, right?" From an official perspective, a program, a university perspective, on social media, don't lend to maybe making things even more potentially volatile and i'm not saying that old miss or tennessee or the schools or glenn kiffin even are at fault for this but what can be viewed as sort of just some good-natured fun it, people in this league fans of this league it, it ain't fun and games no, 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 for a lot no. of these people okay no no so you know whereas i know lane kiffin loved everything about what happened in the lead up to the game he loved it he's got the social he does um capacity of a 14 year old so lane loves all the attention yes. he loves yeah. all the build-up all the talk about lane and and then before the game being interviewed and then after the game during the game he loved all of it lane loves it and that, that's lane okay that's fine um but but you know i guess there's some things that are just beyond the league's control too in terms of the 
the fan passion, which the league actually promotes champions. What is the, what is the hashtag? It just means more. Well, that's what we saw <laughs> again on Saturday night. So yeah. maybe yeah. even from, maybe from with, even within the, the sec offices, there's going to have to be some introspection in terms of how they, they package and, and market the, the, this game. And, and certainly within this league. Uh, and I think the the thing you're also seeing on Twitter is the league has got to do something about the officiating that creates some of these situations. Look, I don't agree with some bad of the day either. in the league. No it, it, was, it. it was what wasn't it? And again, the thing that we're talking here was uh, it was what Trav about third or fourth and twenty four. Uh, and and uh, to Tennessee's credit. They made a great play. It looked like you could certainly make the argument they got the first down, uh, that they looked at it in Birmingham. That was not the case. That that kind of set the fans off at that point. I'm sure there are others that did the same thing. But but look, we're all all frustrated with the officiating. And should they do a better job? I'm sure somehow they do. But, but, But at the same time, that there are just a lot of difficult issues here that are all going to come out over these next few days. But, but as you said, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how Greg Sankey deals with this on a, on a Tennessee basis and also deals with it on a league-wide basis. Yeah, the spot on the play that we're talking about, it's just tough because – it's such it a long it's such a long to go that the official that is ultimately going to come up and make that deciding spot he was a good 15 to 17 yards behind the play running up trying to guess at the spot he didn't know where what the actual spot was and on replay i think he actually did a pretty good job he was as close as you could probably be given his proximity to where the, the the spot should have been. So, look, there's some things that are almost physically impossible that we're still asking officials to do. So I don't know in terms of technology how much more we can get involved right. unless you have a camera that is going to be situated. Maybe this is what you have to do. You just situate a camera squarely and move it based on being right down the line of the, the line needed to gain. And so then you have the perfect angle because so many of these camera shots are from behind or in front. Yes. So it's distorted by the angle. So it may look like, oh, he made it or no, he was short. Um, unless you have a camera perfectly down the line for the the, the, the line needed to gain, um, you know, it, it's going to be a tough spot on those calls. But with that, Tennessee will travel to Tuscaloosa. This weekend, we'll talk a lot about that game coming up later in the week here on Second Helping. And how about, how about with the news cycle being what it is, Ole Miss going to host LSU Saturday <laughs> with Ed oh, Orgeron coming in there and, oh, yes. uh, and Ole Miss coming off just a, uh, a trip for all time to, uh, Knoxville. Uh, that should be, uh, mega fun in a lot of ways. I'm, uh, uh, I, I'm sure, uh, and look again, uh, you've got, uh, Travis and Ole Miss team that, that frankly, it's been by the hair of their chinny chin lately, but they're putting together a pretty solid, solid year, which kind of makes you wonder. And again, we have plenty of time for this. How much of a, uh, a 
uh, more attractive candidate that Lane is going to be for some of these other teams, uh, and just and frankly, how far uh, that this team goes. And as far as Ole Miss is concerned, uh, I mean, they've still got some fascinating games. Uh, they've got one coming up with Auburn. They've got one with people forget this, Travis, but Hugh Free, Hugh Freeze and Liberty come to Oxford. How about that? Uh, and then they've got with Malik Willis, the former oh, Auburn absolutely. quarterback. Uh, and and then don't forget A and M uh, Jimbo and A and M come to Oxford too. Unbelievable. <laughs> what about? By that? the way, we we do have the uh, the TV selections for October the thirtieth, and those have been released around noontime on Monday for October the thirtieth. You will have Missouri at Vanderbilt. That'll be a three p.m. kickoff on the SEC network. Your CBS game for October the thirtieth, of course the. World's largest outdoor cocktail party, Georgia and Florida getting together on the banks of the St. John's River in Jacksonville, Florida. 7 p.m. Eastern on October the 30th, ESPN game, Lane on the Plains. (laughs) Ole Miss makes the trip to Auburn and also in the 7 p.m. Eastern window on October the 30th. This could be an interesting game, too. Kentucky at Mississippi State. So they're your October the 30th TV selections, Alabama, uh, among others, I guess LSU off that weekend as well. You only have, it looks like, eight SEC teams in action, four games. So you got um, a good bit of the league taking a bye weekend for Halloween weekend. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, uh, for both these next two weekends, they're like five teams off this week. Uh, with that, and then the the ones you mentioned on the October thirtieth, as they gear up for November, uh, still plenty of tremendous action at this point. But uh, and, and to say the least, Trev, at this point, the, uh, all these teams in a week off, don't they? Uh, it's getting to that point, no doubt about it. Before you hit November and that final stretch, uh, feels good. It's nice to have either between uh, the next this weekend, the next, as you mentioned. Uh, some some time to sort of regroup, get healthy, and uh, prepare for what should be a very fun November. We still got plenty to talk about in the month of October, though, and we'll continue to do that right here on Second Helping, the number one choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, that league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Anything else, Brent, before we get out of here? Uh, Trav, this is uh, uh, not related to the SEC, but in some ways that it is. Uh, amazing to think about this right now. State of Florida football teams in the last ten games. UCF is five and five. Florida's four and six. Miami, who Bama started with, is four and six. FAU is four and six. FSU is three and seven. FIU is one and nine. And USF is one and nine. So, uh, uh, Trev, right now, uh, the state of Florida not holding up his end of football. The state of Florida unranked in the AP poll for the first time since, what, 2011? Is that the stat I saw? Absolutely yeah. amazing. should never happen. I mean, that's, no, never. That's, that should absolutely never happen. Ooh. Between the big three alone, that should never, ever happen. But, you know, UCF having its struggles, USF continuing to have its struggles. Even in recent years, you could probably count on one of those two to be at least fringe top 25, but that's not the case for the group of fives in the state of Florida right now either. Brent, as always, a lot of fun. 
enjoyed it, Brent. We'll look forward to uh, previewing in a few days. For Brent Beer, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on Second Helping. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to Second Helping? If you would leave us a rating and a review while you're there, anywhere you consume podcasts, you are going to find Second Helping. For Brent Beer, Travis Ryer, thanks again. We'll talk to you again a little bit later in the week.